Good morning. Good morning. Whoa, that's loud. Thank you, brother, for reading Daniel chapter 1. I'm glad I gave you the hard names to say, not me. <laughs> Sorry about that. I also want to thank your uh, worship team. You listened to me last time, and I said that Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor was my new favorite song. Our family has been learning it in family worship, so thank you for giving me a larger gathering and an audience to listen to that. It is my pleasure to be with you once again. It's nice to finally meet your pastor. I've only known Eric via email. I didn't have a clue what he looked like, who he was. So, brother, it's good to see you. It's good to be here. Um, We joked in the back room that I was going to have all of Daniel read and preach the whole book. That's not the case this morning. Thankfully for you and for me, because after chapter 6, it could get a bit ropey up here. But... um, You've had quite the contingency of Irish and Scottish and all you need now is a Welshman and Englishman to bring it all together, but I'm glad that I'm back, so obviously the Irish have won. (laughs) This might be the last one, so who knows? (laughs) But I do bring you greetings from IBC once again. Um, When you walk in here, just to encourage you, when you walk in here and you see the different people and who you are, and people are, hey, Merv, how's it going? That's awesome. That's really encouraging. So can I encourage you to be faithful in these things? As a, as a stranger walking in through your doors, it's nice to have that arm of fellowship. So thank you for welcoming me and my family. This morning, we are indeed going to look at Daniel chapter 1. And if you're under the age of 80, every time I say the word youth, young, that includes you. Don't think if you're older that you're not youthful. These things in Daniel chapter 1, although Daniel was a young man, they apply to us all. So anytime I say youth, don't exclude yourself. Include yourself, okay? Let's get that out of the the gate first of all. But to put where Daniel is in context, we need to basically go to Genesis 1. We also joked that I was going to preach the whole Bible this morning too. We're going to have a quick recap. Now, long ago, God chose one man, Abraham, and promised through him that through his seed, all the families of the earth would indeed be blessed. That one man became a family, and the family did indeed become a nation. This nation went down to Egypt, where it remained for 400 years. Thankfully, they came out of Egypt due to a number of things, the plagues to begin with, and then that final 10th plague and indeed the Passover itself. They were able to pass through the Red Sea unharmed. They wandered for 40 years because of sin and grumbling. They were led by that great man, Moses, where they received the law, they received instructions, and where they indeed received the different attributes of the tabernacle. This nation then through Joshua came into the promised land, before he died, sadly, it had been largely divided up among the 12 tribes. They'd all split their different ways. This then was followed up by a period of the judges, men who God had raised up to judge the people. Then came the period of the kings, Saul, of course, first chosen by men, then David, chosen by God, and then Solomon, and then following Solomon, Rehoboam. Shortly after Rehoboam's reign, the nation split into two. The north was indeed the kingdom of, if I was to ask the young people. Thank you, Israel. The young people, see, she listened. She listened, okay? You're all young, so you can all shout out the answer, okay? The south was Judah. The north was ten tribes, and the south was two. They were enemies, then friends, then enemies and friends, and that kept going on for a long time. But no godly monarch ever sat on his throne. God moved to judge, and indeed he did judge. And the Assyrian army came in, pounded the gate, and took over the capital. And those ten tribes fell and were gone. The southern kingdom continued for a further hundred years until a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Man, I'd love to be called that. Nebuchadnezzar, what a name, it even sounds regal. 
Only people call me Mervyn when I'm in trouble. Just, I want to say that as well. So I thought I was in trouble this morning. But Nebuchadnezzar came upon the horizon on 605 BC. He has a nice name, but he's not a nice person. And all through those times, there was darkness. There was people coming and warning that unless God's people repented, they would be taken away into captivity and into slavery once again. They were warned time and time and time again. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes upon, and he is the person to take them and to take them away. This morning I want to begin a study with you in the book of Daniel. I don't know how many times I'll ever get to preach here, but as a guest preacher, sometimes it's hard to know what do you preach. It's good to get into a book and study it all. So Daniel 1, we're going to look at this man, Daniel. We're going to first look, up, look upon him and the problem that he faced. What was it that Daniel had problems with? The first four chapters of Daniel describe four vivid incidents that took place during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. They're divided up in our Bibles by the chapters. And Daniel, this young teenage lad, we can't be specific of his age, but this young teenage lad came to be living so far from his home because Nebuchadnezzar had taken all the people. He was across that Syrian desert in the land of Babylon. And this is explained to us in the first few verses of Daniel 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then look at those next few words. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. This was God's doing. This was God's judgment upon the people. What a frightful thing it would be this morning if those doors at the back burst open and a load of armed guards swooped in and took us all and rounded us up and took us to a country that we had no idea where we were. If the Irish militia was to come in here this morning and round you all up and take you to Northern Ireland and take you to a wee town called Desert Martin and drop you off, you wouldn't have a clue where you were. I would, but you wouldn't. This is what Daniel faced. Daniel is now in a land and he has not a clue where he is, what he's doing, what's happening. But we need to understand that this was the Lord's doing. This was no fluke or trick or man. This was all of God. Nebuchadnezzar had besieged that city. You young people, that means that he came to the gate and he waited and he waited and he waited and then he took it. He besieged it. He took it all. He'd conquered it. God had given him his own rebellious, his idol-loving people into exile and slavery once again. He told them he was going to do it. It wasn't a surprise. He told them if they didn't repent, that this is what's going to happen. I guess they didn't repent because it did happen. The Israelites had resisted all the, the different people that had come, all the prophets, all the judges, all these people that had come. And now God lifted that rod of judgment and he struck his own people. And Nebuchadnezzar and his army went into Jerusalem and they took everything. And it saddens me to read that they even went into the very temple of God and took the things that were in there also. Nebuchadnezzar took them not to worship the God that we worship, but to worship his own idols and his own gods. That's how conquerors act. They took possession, not only of the people, but every single thing that they owned. There's that mic again. Sorry, last time I had altercations with this thing. Okay, man. It never ends, does it, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between the church and the world. Christians are at war. This morning as you sit here, you're at war. Think of tomorrow when you go to that workplace. If people know that you're a Christian, they may not even want to talk to you about what you did yesterday. 
They may not want to know, hey, what did you do on a Sunday? They may not want to ask these things. Why? Because if you're faithful, you'll begin to speak of Christ. The world does not want to hear of Christ. But this Old Testament book and this first chapter of Daniel is an inspiration to us all. It gives us hope and encouragement for the world that we live in. It helps us in the world that we strive to fight against sin and the devil. When you read the first chapter, for me, one thing leaps out at you. What is it? It's the struggle that these young men went through. Daniel and his friends are in their early teens. They're in their early teens, 13, 14, 15. They're just young boys. I'm looking out here. There's some 13, 14, 15-year-old boys here too, and younger, and girls. The attack is very cunning. There's no siege with an entreated army. There's no embankments. There's no battering rams. There's no catapults. There's no swords and spears. Babylon already has their bodies. But now Babylon wants their minds and their souls and their hearts and everything else too. Nebuchadnezzar desires these young men, these young women, and everything that they have, their personalities, their wills, their affections. He wants to dress them just like how they dress. He wants them to speak just how they speak in Babylon. He wants them to behave just as they behave. He even wants them to eat just like they eat. He wants them to feel and to think. And he wants to infuse them with everything that Babylon has to offer. He, he wants these young men who he has, he has taken captive to be just like all the other men in Babylon. All the other boys and girls. This morning as we sit here, is it any different? Is it any different in our day if we stand out from the crowd? We're mocked and ridiculed. You young people, so that includes everyone. When you go to school, when you go to college, when you go to university, wherever you go, where you go to your workplace, and they ask you the question, hey, what did you do at the weekend? And you faithfully answer, oh, I was at church on Sunday. Sometimes the response can be one of mocking and laughing and scorn and ridicule. Nothing's changed. The only thing that has changed is the date. Nebuchadnezzar wants conformity throughout his dominion. He wants Babylon to seize everyone, heart, mind, body, soul, everything that they have. The approach is very subtle. It's also very determined. He thinks to himself, we'll get the children. Nebuchadnezzar says, we'll get them when they're young and they'll have their whole lives to serve us. Nebuchadnezzar sends his chief of the court, his officials on a mission. He's to bring the cream, the very top of the young men of Israel, the smartest boys, the handsome boys, the boys who are full of life and vigor, the future leaders of God's people is who he's looking for. And he wants to take them from that ghetto where they live and bring them to his royal palace to be his slaves there. Imagine it. Imagine it if you were one of these young boys. You're living in the slums. You're living out in the ghettos in Babylon. And you have an opportunity to go and live in the very palace of the king. Here these vulnerable, vulnerable young men away from their parents. You find them in the palace. They're intelligent. They're given more books to read. They're given teachers to teach them. They're promised these great opportunities. Hey, you can have 1,500 camels if you want. I don't know what they were offered in those days. In our days, we're promised good jobs, long vacations, escape from the norm, 
money, houses, cars. We're given that dream life, so to speak. But these young men, they were escaped from that slavery status. They were treated like aristocrats. They were in the so-called Eton. Eton in the UK is the top of school you can go to. I don't know what it is over here, but it's Eton over there. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the Babylon, these Babylonians in heart, spirit, body, and soul. He wanted them alienated from the Lord. He wanted them as we would do with chicken when we get it for a barbecue and we squeeze all that barbecue sauce and we marinate it. That is what he wanted to do to these young boys. He wanted to cover every single inch of these young boys in his way, not God's way. They wanted to see the world just as Babylonians saw it, big, huge, full of whistles and bells, lights. He even wanted to touch the smallest area of their life, their diet. How important is food? When we go to a foreign country, we're struck by many things. Language, the dress, the climate, the vegetation, and of course the food. Normally we return home for our vacation or our holiday, and all we like to talk about with people is all the different types of food we tried. With that laughter, I know that's exactly what you're doing. Okay? I know coming from a diet of meat and potatoes... Okay, the different foods you guys here are whew, unbelievable. I have to get stretchy trousers now, but it's okay. <laughs> never, never in my wildest dream would I ever have imagined eating raw fish wrapped in seaweed with white rice. <laughs> Good old sushi. Now, don't everyone start thinking about food. Okay, stay with me here. Now, don't let your belly start to rumble. But we're told in verse 5 of Daniel chapter 1 that the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to rule every single part of their life. It was the Babylonian diet. Wine and food. It was probably mixed with Babylonian herbs and spices. I'm sure it tasted amazing. The smell would have been unreal. It didn't taste like food from Jerusalem. Everything about these boys had to change, even their diet. And all the old-fashioned approach to eating and drinking, which they had received from their parents, from the hand of God, had to go. All the threads tying them to the past had to be broken. That life back in Israel... And the values of being part of God's people, which they had brought into that Babylonian ghetto, were all to be annihilated one by one. It was the issue of food that made Daniel draw a line. If you want a title for today's sermon, it's Where is Your Line? When he was being trained in the language and the literature of the Babylonians in verse 4, he didn't protest. When he was given new names, he didn't protest. I've come to America and I've been called many different names. Marv, Melvin, Martian. You get it all at Starbucks. I don't know whether they're teasing me or what, but you get it all. But when Daniel was put onto that new diet, he couldn't conform. Christians are going to meet many things in schools, at universities, in college, at work, which they don't agree with. But we don't want to have a reputation of people who are always protesting at every single thing. Not every issue, as we would say back in Ulster, is a no-surrender issue. We're not putting our hands up in class to draw the teacher's eyes to our protest at everything we think we might be against or our parents or whatever have taught us. We need to be careful that our teachers know more than we do. Daniel didn't protest when they called him Belshazzar. 
even though it was a name of a Babylonian idol. If they want to call me that, they can. Remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. He could have said to his four friends when they raised their eyebrows at these ugly foreign names, they'll call us names anyway. I know some of you sitting here in front of me this morning have told people, hey, I'm a Christian. And you've been into your neighborhood and you've told your friends, I believe in God. And their response has been some of, oh, the God Squad, the Squeaky Clean Brigade, Holy Joe, the Preacher Boys. We've heard it all before. A mother might say they call my son's names in school and laugh at him because he's a Christian. The pastor will comfort her, put his arm around her and say, it's very sad, but it's a sad life if a Christian is never laughed at. Jesus tells us in his word, blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed. Young person. So that's everybody. But especially those of you who are at school, college, university. Take comfort. And you might sit there and roll your eyes and go, Merv, you're Irish, you have not a clue, my friend. How on earth can I take comfort in being called names? Because the world sees you different than they are. The world sees that a work has been done in you that they don't have. Take comfort in that. Take delight in that. But how can you take delight in those things? Well, it's one word. Christ. It's all of him. It's not of you. It's all of Christ. Do you think as Christ stood before Pilate that the people were... You know, quiet and timid and not saying a word. They were hurling abuse at our Savior, mocking him, spitting at him. Don't get the notion if you watch, I think you have Judge Judy over here too, or whatever it's called, and you get that notion of the courtroom in your head where, yeah, it gets a little bit ruckusy after a while, but it's really quiet and reserved. Get that notion out of your head. When Christ stood before Pilate, it was so noisy. They wanted to kill our Savior. They weren't being all quiet and reserved. In Christ's day, the crowds were hurling abuse at him. They were lifting things and throwing them at him. Young believer, take comfort in the fact that Christ was mocked for you. We should be mocked for him. Daniel kept sweet and said nothing of the names, or indeed learning the language, or reading the books that were given. And yet he carefully drew a line at the food that was being imposed upon him. I know I said that we should not always put our hand up and argue at every single point. There are times when some of us here will disagree in things. There are things that we need to cover in love. Do I like the fact that you have gray seats in your church? No. I'd like them to be green. Why? Because I'm Irish. Is that a hill to be killed upon? No. The fact that the AC is set at 76, not 75 like home. Do we argue and complain it's too hot? Someone sat in my seat, a seat that I've had for 50 years, and we get all bent out of shape. Is that something that we should argue and disagree upon? No, we got to cover it in love. There are times when things are said that we are against and we don't agree with, and we have to take our stand. There are times when we have to gird up our trousers 
or back in Ireland or Scotland, we'd gird up our kilt and we'd pull it up and we'd get ready for war. There are times when we have to have a backbone and say, brother, sister, I got to draw the line here. Perhaps a brother says, oh, I think Christ didn't rise for the dead. At that point, you get up and you lynch him, okay? (laughs) He talked about throwing telegraph poles. You got to throw them, okay? Or you say, hey, instead of the five-year-olds going out the back door, let them all come up here and teach us. No. There are times when you got to say, whoa, 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 enough is enough. It's important to draw that line. It's important to draw the line at critical issues. But it's also important then not to give way. A story is told back in Ireland of a territorial army group, which is basically our part-time army, which went on maneuvers every six months. Every six months they would gather together for a weekend and they'd head out into the shucks and trenches that we have and they'd pretend gunfight and all the rest. And they stayed in barracks. And there was always one man, one man who would sadly go to the village pub at the end of the night and he'd get drunk. And he would stagger back into his dormitory. And he always had a box of chalk in his bag. And he'd rummage through his bag and he'd pull out his box of chalk and he'd take that piece and he'd draw a line on the floor. And he'd say, I challenge any of you, come cross it. He did this every six months for a few years. The men would groan and complain. This guy was a big guy. And they would groan and they would complain. And they'd turn their back and they'd go back to sleep. But a new recruit who had just joined up didn't know anything of this guy, didn't know anything about him. And the man that night came back, he got his chalk, and he drew the line. And he was giving it all this. And the new recruit who just joined up with him got out of his bed because he'd had enough, he was wanting to get to sleep. And he crossed that line. He put both feet over it. And the drunk looked at him. And he was bigger than he was. And he hesitated. And he fumbled in his pocket and he took two steps back. And he drew an R line. (laughs) And he says, come on. And the guy walked forward. And the drunk was like, what's going on? And he drew another line. He kept drawing and drawing and drawing until his back was against the wall. He'd know where to go. Sadly, we've all seen Christian organizations, agencies, denominations who have said that they've drawn a line and they're never going to move it. The issue has been some so-called non-negotiable part of Christian teaching. Some Christian ethic that they're so strong and they're so resolved in and they draw their line and they stand there. Then some big man, the pressure of the world, the devil, someone with charm, someone with charisma comes in and challenges them upon it. And very quickly they have their shoe and they're rubbing that line out and they're taking two steps back. And the line is moved and moved and moved once more. I think of gay marriage in my own home country, my own hometown. Strong Christian men who stood up against it many for many, many years, who were vocal and said, never in my church, never. And slowly they moved the line. And then again, and again, and again. Until now they're even conducting marriages inside the churches. And they're even having them become pastors. Men who for years said never rub that line out. 
and moved it. Young Daniel wasn't in the business of moving his line. And he drew that line at food. We might think that God isn't interested in food and water and soup and meat and vegetables. They probably said to Daniel, come on, Daniel, don't be so pernickety. Just take the food. Don't be so awkward. Your attitude, man, it's really offensive to these people. You know, the Pharisees would also have been fussy about food. They would have cleaned their hands before eating. They refused to enter Pilate's court on a certain day in the week. And yet their heart was against our Lord. But Daniel was not a Pharisee. He was filled with the spirit of the Messiah. He saw the food as simply an outward sign of something against our great God. Something that was against our great Jehovah. It's the way of life. Some will argue that the food was offered to idols, and this is why Daniel refused it. Wouldn't the vegetables also have been offered to idols? Some will also say, well, the food was unclean. But what about the wine? It doesn't say in our Bibles that wine is unclean. It says wine, too much of it is a trouble, and the calamity that it brings. My thinking is along with that of Matthew Henry, who believes that it's a mixture of both of these things. Daniel and his friends didn't do these things to protect themselves, but to take away the temptations that Babylon had to offer. They knew that these things in general were wrong. They knew that if they dabbled in them one time, it would break all that they had been taught, all that they believed in just one time. Some people will say, my addiction happened because of that one time. My friend said, oh, just take a puff of that cigarette one time. won't do you any harm. Sixty years later, you're still addicted to it. Take a sip of that beer or some drug. You young people, listen, it only takes one time. Be grounded in the truth. The menu wasn't accidental. People will say to us in our day that they admire our religion. They are glad that this works for us. But that's a private matter for you. How often have you heard it of the one in the workplace that we'll go up to them and we'll try to speak of Christ and they'll listen, but you know what's going in here and out there. And they'll say, well, that's all well and good for you, but that, that just won't work for me. I don't want to hear this. Just doesn't suit me. Doesn't suit my life. Daniel stood against it. You see, we know the story of Daniel. Our children know the story of the lion's den. But Daniel didn't get courage in the lion's den, first of all. He got courage in the dining hall. Over a small thing like food. Daniel drew the line in that food hall. It was as if Daniel could see that the lions were coming and he could see the lions in that very banquet hall. He could see them snarling and sniping at him. But he stood defiant. If Daniel hadn't have been faithful there, would he have survived the lion's den? Few of us who give in to that one sin can survive when the lions come. That is why today we must ask forgiveness from God. We must seek cleansing anew from Him for those sins that we commit every day. You young Christians sometimes think, how could I cope with martyrdom? How could I cope if I was thrown into that large arena and it was full of lions and bears and tigers? Would I stand? Would my faith stand? I asked you the question, how are you doing today? How are you managing today? How do you behave at the school prom? 
when your mom and dad aren't there to see what you're doing? How do you older people behave at the office Christmas party when it's you and you know it's just unbelievers? Are you different? How do you manage at school, in the classroom, when perhaps you're the only believer? How do you manage on the football field when it's hard and difficult? How do you conduct yourselves in the changing rooms after? Why torment yourselves about the lion's den or the large arena when perhaps today you're feeling in the very dining hall? Daniel 1 is a sad chapter. How many hundreds of young men came from Jerusalem to Babylon? There was a lot. How many took their stand for Christ in that hall? Four. Four young men. Four mere men. For me, the most important verse in all of Daniel, the whole book, is found in verse 8. But Daniel. We had a but last time. Can anyone remember? Wow, my sermon was so good. (laughs) Remember when God remembered Noah? But God. Here's a but Daniel. Small word. Huge implications. The church has been blessed because men have seen issues C.H. Spurgeon saw a downgrade among many Baptists back in 1880. He took a stand. He drew a line. Praise God he did. Gresham Machen defined and fought error in Princeton Seminary in the opening decades of the century. Praise God he did. In a local congregation, things may be slipping and sliding and one man gathers the crowd around him explains to them the issue one man has seen the consequences of what is being said and done and he yells from the rooftops this is not from God's word church pray for faithful men in your church pray for your pastor pray for your elders Pray for your deacons. Pray for your sound people. Pray for your welcoming group, your praise group, your Sunday school teachers. There's enough people in this room that if you got on your knees, you'd be there the rest of the day. Do it. Bring them to God. Why? Because this book is the most sacred thing in all of the world. And we need faithful men Men who have courage. Pastor Eric at the back, I've listened to some of your sermons. You have courage, brother. Keep doing it. The rest of you men who stand up here and preach and pray, do it with courage. Not yourself. Daniel did not do these things because Daniel was special. Daniel did these things because he had a God who was special. A God who was looking after him. A God who he could cry to and ask and seek and help. Remember the lion's den? How did he get there? He's a man of prayer. Are you a woman and a man of prayer? You young people, do you struggle to pray? Ask for help. There in Babylon is this crowd of teenagers. And they all profess that they know Messiah. They all profess that they know who this God is that they serve. And yet one after one after one given. Four didn't. They fall in line. And they tuck into that Babylonian food. And they've been probably living in the ghetto for a number of years. They're hungry. They're starving. And they see all this food and they just go, ha, 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 great. Let's eat. Daniel went, uh uh-uh. Not for me. These young people probably said, Daniel, do you want us all taken back into the ghetto? We can accomplish so much more if we're just a little bit flexible. 
just given just a little bit. Daniel said no. Do you say no? Or do you give in a little bit today? And then a little bit tomorrow? And then a little bit the next day? And then after a week you've given in an awful lot. Be faithful in the small things. Be faithful to God in the small things. These young men were convinced of the impossibility of what they're being asked to do. They were asked to partake of that meal with its false sacraments and its idolatry and its uncleanness. Will you draw a line in the sand today and say no surrender? Will you draw a line in the sand and say, I will not give in no matter what it costs me, even my life? Because I warn you in 2018, the days are coming. They are coming quickly. When men and women will have to stand before others and confess Christ as their Lord. Or they will not. This morning, are you going to be one who will draw a line and never move from it? Or are you sadly going to be like that territorial army guy who rubbed it out and kept moving and moving and moving? Make your call and your election sure and stick to it. How can you stick to it? God. You can't do these things by yourself. Nor should you ever try. Sadly, we do all too often. We try to do things by ourselves. What happens? We fail miserably. And then we actually have the cheek to say, I wonder what went wrong. We need to come to God. God is everything. But what did Daniel do, secondly? He didn't have this martyr's complexion. He wasn't pig-headed. He simply asked a question graciously and kindly that he didn't want to eat this food. He wasn't stubborn or anything else. The Bible doesn't tell us these things. He simply went to see a proper man. He went to see the right man about the problem. He took courage into his hands as a young lad. He asked if he might be excused for meeting the food, partaking of all that was given. The chief's official's response was that of, are you joking? Do you want me to lose my head? Do you want me to bring you before Nebuchadnezzar pale and frail and full of bones that you haven't been eating this bread and wine and meat and all the rest? It'll be curtains for me. Daniel wouldn't be put off by what that man said. He said, hey, give us a trial for 10 days. See how we'll be in that time, the man thought. I wonder what that diet was like. I think I could go on it. A 10-day diet. There's no harm in it, Daniel said. There's no, there's no struggles with it. They're going to be here for three years before they're presented to Nebuchadnezzar. I can at least give them 10 days. And thankfully, he does. But the, that raises the question, well, what sort of God did Daniel have? What sort of God would Daniel have that would look after him now at this time? God who tells us that he will look after us and never fail us or forsake us. Would he be a God who would let these young men become frail and sickly and, and awful looking? Remember, even the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar was in God's hand at this time. It was a great discovery for these young men to make. It gives us an account of how we might approach such a time. Be wise over what issues you're going to draw the line with. Like I said, the gray chairs, it's not one to draw a line with. It's just your personal preference. If someone says that Jesus Christ is not Lord, Kick them out through those doors. You've got to be careful about what you draw your line with. Always ask the Lord for help. Be courteous 
Be gracious as you can in approaching different people about different circumstances. If you find that you can't cover it in love, then you've got to go to the person. May I encourage you even this morning, don't write a letter, but rather go to the person eyeball to eyeball. Talk to them. How many times have we sent a loved one a text message? I know how wonderful our phones are, but at times they can cause great confusion. We say something in a text and the person receives it completely the wrong way. And we get the five or six exclamation marks back. What do you mean? If we had a went to the person or we had a called them, they would have known the tone of our voice. They would have known what we were trying to say. You see, there's a lot of power in a stammering tongue. Consider the result here. The chief official was won over. And at the end of ten days, we read that these men were glowing. They were healthy. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God blesses those who obey. He promises to spread us a table before our enemies. Daniel chapter 1 is urging us to remember some things. It's telling us that we have to remember some simple rules for Christian living. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do it. Love God with all your heart. Do it. Be wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Do it. Don't admire the precepts of the Bible or the promises of the Bible without listening and doing them. Satan's plan was that Daniel wouldn't stay the course. That he wouldn't be one of God's great people, an example to us today for speaking up in Babylon. Satan's plan was to assist Nebuchadnezzar so that every single thing about the Lord disappeared. His name, his law, his covenant, the record of his mighty works in his Bible. Satan wanted all of God's people destroyed. But God is powerful than Satan. God's plan was totally different. It was that this young man, Daniel, this young fella, like some of you sitting here this morning, as he was taken as a slave, a free man, into a refugee camp, basically. And as he was taken into that king's palace and his mind was manipulated and twisted, just like yours is today with all that we watch and do, God's plan was different. If you're one of God's people here this morning, God's plan's different for you too. The very last verse of this chapter says that he was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What does that mean? Seventy-five years later, Daniel's still there. Nebuchadnezzar is forgotten. Daniel is still there. Kings have come and kings have gone. World empires have risen and they have fallen and crashed. But Daniel is still there until the first year of King Cyrus. Do you remember what happened in that first year of King Cyrus? An edict was passed that God's people could return home. God's people could return to Jerusalem. God's people could take down those harps that no doubt they'd stuck on the wall. And they began to sing. And they began to praise God. The greatest single reason why in 70 years' time God's people still existed in that land was because Daniel in chapter 1 verse 8 had a but moment. A moment when serving the one true and living king of kings was more important than serving the king of the land. 
through the grace of God and the help of God, this boy knew some things better than all the greatest men in all of the world. A young teenage boy who knew Christ was more wiser than some of the more older people in all of the world. The King of kings and Lord of lords is a living God. He's the one true and living God. He is the only one who is worthy to live for. And he's the only one worthy to die for if needs be. I have three young children. I'm 35. And I have three young children and I fear the world that they are going to grow up in. I'm scared. I'm fearful. Why? Because perhaps in their day they might face more hostility and opposition than we ever did. Can I urge you parents, teach your kids the word of God. You fathers, bring your children to the word of God. We can't save our children. If we could, we would. We would do anything to save our children. But we can do the greatest thing that God has called us to do. And that's to pray for our children. Some of you grandparents in here. Some of you older people. Pray for the young people of this church. Get to know them. I can think when I was a young teenage boy. My best friend at church was 70 plus years. He was an old guy. He had white hair. He was actually an Iron Man. He used to love doing Iron Man competitions. I don't know why he possessed him to do that, but no matter. But that man was faithful to me. Each Lord's Day, I'd seek him out and I'd go talk to him. And he'd tell me some new thing that he'd read that week, a book he was reading. He'd tell me he prayed for me. Do it for your young people. Encourage them. It's not that long ago that I was a teenager. It's a hard life. Sin, temptation, struggles are rife. They're difficult. Encourage them. Throw your arm around them. Next Sunday, laser tag, the whole church should be there. Is that good enough, brother? <laughs> the whole Why? Encourage your young people. Why would you encourage them? Well, when you kick the bucket and die and we put you in the ground, who's left? These young people. That is the next generation of this church in Veritas. My kids in the back are the next generation of IBC. If we aren't faithful now, we won't be faithful later. Draw alongside them. Lift them up. Pray for them. Encourage them. Go and buy them a book. Don't buy them a Starbucks. Go buy them a good book so they can read. Read it with them. Do a Bible study. The list goes on. But be faithful to your young people. What can we learn this morning from Daniel chapter 1? What can all of us learn? Young, old, middle-aged, thin, fat, bald, whatever else. What can we learn from Daniel? It's this. Him that honors me, I will honor. First Samuel 2, we read of a very similar picture that what we've read off this morning. Here was a son who was prayed for before the Lord, Samuel. And the Lord gave Samuel sons who did evil in the sight of the Lord. We read that Samuel grew in stature and in the knowledge of the Lord. But sadly, his sons did wickedness. They were sinful all the days of their very life. They were sinful even on to the point of death. But near the end of 1 Samuel 2, we read this. And we need to write it upon our eyelids. 
our arms, wherever we have. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go out in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. This morning I ask you a question. Are you honoring God? Have you drawn a line in your life when you can say that God has saved you from your sins? A life that is full of the knowledge that God is your God. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. Our God lives and He is watching us. He has said that He will honor us if we honor Him. But are we? Am I? Have I? Do I need to repent? Most definitely. Are we trying with the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin in our life? Remember the Christian life is not easy. It's hard. Take a look around you this morning. Pains. Aches. Sickness. Sorrow. Money problems. Worries. Strife. Christians are never promised an easy life. But we are promised to get help through this life. We're promised the help of the Holy Spirit. This morning, let us all take courage. Let us all be encouraged. This morning, you young people, as you in the next few weeks, and I'm sorry to break it to you, but in the next few weeks, you go back to school. Sorry. As you go back to school or college or uni or even homeschool too, let your light shine before men. Let people see a difference in your life. Be faithful to God. Be assured that if trouble comes, and it will, you have a helpmate. You have someone who sticks closer than a brother. Be rest assured that he will help you. He will help you to be courageous. He will help you to fight that good fight. One of my favorite hymns reads like this. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. This morning I ask you with all sincerity, are you trusting and obeying God? Are you coming to the only one who can save your soul? Are you more interested in what you're going to do this afternoon? If you are trusting and obeying in God, then he is the one who will help us. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But this morning I have to be faithful. We prayed in that back room and up here that the gospel would go forth and that young and old would hear of Christ. Who's encouraging you? Sadly, some here this morning are not trusting in Christ. Some have no time for his word. Some may have not physically stuck their fingers in their ears, but they slumber and sleep. And they don't want to listen. They've counted many things up here. Someone's maybe counted how many pieces of bread were in that basket. I've been there and done it. In our church, we had a brick wall. There's 732 bricks in that back wall. I had no time for Christ. I didn't want to listen. But this morning, can I ask you a few questions? 
Just give me a few moments of your time, nothing else. Are you the one who would eat from the table of the world? Are you content to be in your sinful ways? You see no harm in it. You like to live and be the cool kid. Sadly, some of you even here this morning have ridiculed other believers. I don't know. But let me ask you, if all your friends were taken away, if your family was taken away, if all you knew in your life was taken away from you, what does it leave? It leaves you and you alone. And that's all that will stand before God and the judgment seat of Christ. You. Your friends aren't there beside you. Your parents aren't there pushing you forward. Your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your Xbox, your Wii, your PlayStation, your computers, your phones, whatever it is, it's just you. And if you that today were to stand before God and nothing else was around you, what would God say to you? Would he say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my kingdom that is prepared for you. Or, sadly, would he say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's for eternity. It's hard for us to get our puny minds around what that is like. But it never ends. There's no coming back. Other religions will tell you that you can come back. Lies. Once your heart stops beating and your body's laid into that grave, there ain't no coming back. There's only one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Once you die and that's it, there's no hope. But today there is hope. Why? Because praise be to God, not one person has dropped dead in front of me. God has given you breath. God is making your heart beat one more time. He is sustaining your life, not you. But in an instant, God can call you into eternity. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to go and meet the judge? Mark says in his word, but if that day and if that hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, take heed Watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, less coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all. Watch. I don't know if you guys sing it over here, but back home we have a little Sunday school chorus that we like to sing. And the final verse says this, Watch and be ready for the Lord may come today. The Lord could come back today. He could come back in the next 15 minutes. He could come back in the next 10 seconds. No one knows. But we need to watch. Are you able to watch with confidence? Or as you sit here, if you're being honest, if Christ was to return right now, you'd be in big trouble. If he comes, 
Have you put your trust in him? If not, then cry unto him. I can't save you. Pastor Eric can't save you. No one can save you, only God. You need to cry unto him. You need to seek repentance from him for all the sins of your life. And then be a Daniel. Be courageous. Be bold. Draw your line in the sand and don't move from it. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.